it's not a particularly strong division, although you can make a case for the Titans, but I will later make a case against the Titans. <laughs> So, hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We're continuing the off-season, and this week it's the AFC South preview. So, hey guys, we got Connor here, we've got Sean. Hello. And we've got Ronan. Hello. How are we all getting on, lads? How is life down in Cork? Uh, yeah, yeah, not too bad. So, I got half-vaccinated uh, on Monday. Um, it was very, um, I have to credit, the, the the whole thing was very well-organized, which is a very surprising thing to say about the Irish state. <laughs> you went in and you were told where to go and what to do and fill in the form, and it was done in like half an hour, which was, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to about a month's time, four, four weeks until the second vaccine, and then a week after that, I will be invincible. And we'll be able to conquer the world. What um, if you don't if you don't mind telling us uh, who who did you take the sponsorship deal with? Who's your uh, who's your who's your <laughs> provider? The the pride of Cork, uh, Pfizer. Ah, very Cork. good, very good. <laughs> what about yourself, Ronan? You haven't been able to 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 get a sneaky vaccine in, no? No, no. I I know some people who their GP or something has rang them up. I suppose. It's one of those classic cases, like the more healthy you are, the longer you'll have to wait. And it's very unfortunate. I've heard, I, I, I've heard mention of uh, several lads whose asthma from when they were four seems to have kicked up again. So the, yeah. so the GP <laughs> has let them in ahead of the queue. Yeah, yeah but look, the, we're, we're nearly there, Connor. Soon enough, we can register online. And then it sounds like things are moving pretty quick once that actually happens. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, no, it should be good. I'm looking forward to getting my vaccine. Yeah, nothing too wild or crazy up here in Dublin, although I will be, uh, fingers crossed, heading down to see yourselves next week and uh, party up Cork style. See what, uh, see what all this real capital crack is about. Yeah, butter mostly, I think. <laughs> mm, that's true. Oh, man, is the Butter Museum reopened? Uh, probably. I think most ah. civic civic amenities are open now. Excellent. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's just... Too much difficulties with social distancing anyway in a place like the <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's a great. I, I hardly recommend to any of the listeners who are visiting Cork to go to the Potter Museum. It'll be the best, I think, about a fiver you'll ever spend. It's just, it's just weird. In, in defense of the Potter Museum, the upstairs bit would be like the history of butter in Cork and its role in the local economy and how that linked Cork to the British Empire. It's actually very, very interesting. The downstairs oh, yeah. bit, which is like an advertisement for the butter board, is uh, yeah, is is terrible. And <laughs> just a, go I, straight upstairs. If I like it. I, I, I like it. There's like there's like there's like a 25 minute long propaganda video from like 1991. Uh, it's it, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, I was joking. I genuinely I think it's a great spot to go to. Um, yeah. So we'll go through a couple of bits of news and stuff, and then we'll fire straight on into the preview. Uh, it's obviously a little bit quieter now this time of year. Um, Transaction-wise, Pittsburgh have released uh, veteran guard David DeCastro, and they've signed Trey Turner, uh, presumably to replace him on the line. Obviously, DeCastro, quite a good guard, been with them for quite some time. Trey Turner, a little bit untested, although there's a lot of rumours that DeCastro might just be retiring here, right, Ronan? Yeah, so I think he's having an ankle surgery, and he's basically going to go and... If it works out, I, I definitely want to play again, but there's a decent chance that it doesn't work out and that I'll have to retire. Um, so this seems like a case where the Steelers can't really take that risk, especially given they don't have any depth. And they decided to sign Trey Turner, who obviously has a few Pro Bowls in his back pocket. But the fact that he is kind of out there during all the free agency, I wasn't picked up is an indication that his recent play um, hasn't really lived up to, to his previous uh, time in, in Carolina. So I think like he was part of that trade. Um, with the Chargers last year, and uh, he was given up after one year. So, look, I think we we talked about uh, last time out that the Steelers' issues uh, along the offensive line are pretty severe alongside yeah. their quarterback situation. So, I don't think this is necessarily a, a huge step down, but it is another discontinuity between last year's line, which was too fair, wasn't great, and this year's line, and you know. Offensive lines are notoriously one of those areas where if you have a lot of turnover, you tend to see so you tend to suffer for it. Yeah, um, 
The Jets have added more offensive tackle. Uh, Strengthened Morgan Moses joining them. Obviously, they've got the uh, the rookie in there, uh, Zach Wilson, and they want to um, protect him. This seems, you know, kind of logical to just bring in a couple of extra pieces. I I presume this is going to be fighting for a starting spot rather than given one, but I'm not certain. Yeah, like he he's been pretty solid uh, for the football team in Washington over the last few years. But I think he was just a bit overpaid, and he plays right tackle. He's a right tackle only. Um, so I think the expectation is that he will have a camp competition with George Font. Um, mm. but George Font was he was fine last year by PFF. Uh, but I think there's a decent chance Morgan Moses can win that, and George Font becomes the uh, swing tackle where he was mostly successful in, in Seattle in that role compared to being a a starter against the first flight. So right now, I'd probably put him as a favourite to start at right tackle across from Mekti Becton at uh, left tackle. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota have signed defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson. Uh, probably a name a lot of people are familiar with. Um, it's uh, This was less production recent years. Maybe that's why he's still knocking around. Like, Minnesota... Uh, it doesn't change my opinion of being a very bleh, unexciting team. Like, does this do much for you, Sean? I, I think it's a solid ad. I mean, he, he was a part of that defense that, that looked pretty good last year. I, it, yeah, I agree with you. It's not a, he's not a world beater, but he does add to it. I mean, the Vikings' problem is that they're just, yeah, they're hope, hopelessly mediocre in every way. Um, so he probably makes them slightly less mediocre, which is good, but he doesn't change them, which is what they really need, I think. Yeah, I think it is worth pointing out that he has played under Zimmer before a few years ago in Minnesota. And I think they had a lot of one technique type people like Davlin Tomlinson and Michael Pierce, but they didn't really have a tree tech. Uh, and I think Sheldon Richardson should slot more naturally into that along the defensive line, uh, defensive tackle rotation. Okay, and New Orleans uh, have extended Ryan Ramchek five years, 96 million, locking down that offensive tackle position to protect who at quarterback? Um <laughs> Yeah, look, seems <laughs> fine. He plays well. Um, it's a yeah. decent price for him as well. It, so yeah, he's a good left tackle, and this is a pretty standard contract for guys of that quality, like a nearly twenty million a year. Um, I think in a couple of years this will look he's like a bargain. Indeed, like the highest paid right tackle or something now in the entire NFL or something. So, that's what I. That's what. Something I read. I don't know if that's true or not. It could be. It's, it's probably quite a front-loaded kind of deal or something that he's probably costing a chunk. Because I would presume that there was one more than twenty million a year. But I suppose this is an extension. So I, look, the the way that they work the caps and the contracts, I quite often just get lost to be honest at this point. Yeah, <laughs> and I think to be fair, I think I think he is transitioning to being their left tackle of the future. I think he has played a bit of right tackle in his rookie contract, but that's where I think where they expect him to be long term. Okay, fair enough. Um, obviously, the smaller down ones we'll just kind of integrate as we go through the through the teams. Crime and punishment. What are they doing? It's uh, probably felonies. Oh God, shit! This does sound like a felony. Kansas City defensive end Frank Clark uh, has been charged with possession of an illegal firearm. Uh, this got more interesting when it was determined that it was an Uzi and not just a standard firearm. I believe he's claiming that it's someone else who was in the cars. Um, very. Uh, who was it? Was it Shannon Sharp who had the. Uh, like always have a fall guy speech or no it wasn't kind of sharp it was uh, it was someone else um but yeah it's a it sounds very have a fall guy kind of situation but yeah so frank clark is obviously quite a highly paid defensive end in kansas city he was brought in on a trade from the seahawks uh he's kind of underwhelmed his contract a little bit in the regular season and performed particularly well in postseason um but yeah this is not what you want to see because i believe he has uh, like on a domestic assault or some kind of battery charge from beforehand as well. Yeah, he's had uh, significant uh, legal issues in the past. Like I think coming yeah. out of even coming out of the draft, he was one of those picks that was, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> considered to be a somewhat uh, like dropped because of his uh, legal issues. So yeah. look, I, I think you know when you traded for him, um, you're kind of buying some of this. Um, but like, it, like to be fair, it has been a number of years since this came up. I think it like the last arrest was, you know, five or six years ago at this point. But mm-hmm. I think it was always going to be a risk. Um, this seems like a really stupid thing. Uh, in most countries, this would be like a really, really stupid thing. But in America, uh, you know, it's it's a firearm. It's the wrong type of firearm. But like, I don't know how serious this will end up being because of that. And obviously, due to the as you say, uh, claiming that it's other people in the car were the actual owner. Um, this may be a case where. 
he will probably face some kind of legal repercussion, but I'm not sure if he's facing, you know, significant like jail time or anything like that. But uh, regardless, he will probably face some kind of suspension uh, for personal conduct uh, from the NFL. Um, it's just a matter of how significant that will be. Yeah, and Arizona linebacker Zayvon Collins has been arrested on a reckless driving charge. He was going about twice the speed limit, 76 in the 35 mile per hour zone. Um, I haven't really heard a ton about this one. Uh, like, I, I'm always unsure in America about the speed limit stuff of like whether they have to have graduated movements down or it could just be a you're in a very fast road that then just has a 35 mile per hour section like there are bits like that in ireland because of weird legislation where you're on a 100 kilometer an hour road and then it drops to 45 or to 50 kilometers for the stretch of 500 meters but this seems like a silly speed to be doing in a 35 mile per hour zone yeah Yeah, i I would think think a 35 mile in our zone is, is probably urban there might even be a school i mean it's yeah. it's one of those slower things so that would worry me i can't imagine this is someone coming off a highway into a into a slightly slower place it's probably uh yeah probably not good would be my thought on it yeah um obviously he, if there's any issues stemming from this that'll be a big loss but like you know speeding on the on on the scale of uh, bad things that nfl players do this is pretty low down i suppose yeah he didn't Not hit anyone like, yeah, <laughs> didn't hit anyone he didn't flee the scene of a crime he didn't like you know yeah, yeah like, well like uh, apparently what happened is he got arrested and he was released 40 minutes later but the transcript is basically they said you were doing you know set over 70 in a 35 mile and he said no i wasn't going that fast and it's like no actually you were here's the evidence like oh i'm sorry uh so <laughs> I'm sure the contrition uh, will be uh, the thing uh, emphasized by his uh, lawyer rather than the uh, initial <laughs> reaction. But uh, look, yeah, he'll probably face he'll, like once again there'll probably be some consequences for this. But uh, I don't know necessarily if he'll miss a huge amount of time either due to legal repercussions or the uh, NFL. But he'll probably miss some time at least. Oh, of course, uh, controversy corner. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. We discussed it briefly, I think, in the last one when it was underway. But they found against the NCAA restrictions against payments for players. So we've talked about this a number of times over the years about how ridiculous the college situation is in NCAA, essentially profiting off all of these college athletes without allowing any of them to receive payment. Particularly given that so many of them, this will be the height of it for them. Um, so the Supreme Court has found against their ability to restrict the payments to the players. Is this because obviously this is the Supreme Court, so I presume this is the final judgment on this, or is there appeals processes? Or it, it, it's slightly more complicated. So the, this particular decision, which was unanimous, by the way, um, and then given we, what we know about the uh, political nature of the court, that that is kind that of is damning. Quite surprising, yeah. Yeah, it, but this is this was specifically related to restrictions on education-related benefits um and probably benefits related to you know your image and stuff like that which i think the ncaa was already having talk about so the ncaa was trying to spin this initially as like well look like okay they're gonna be allowed payments that are related to like you know additional scholarships and stuff like that um but obviously we're not going to pay them a wage and stuff like that but given the rather strong language used uh in the judgment and particularly in a additional uh you know opinion from brett kavanaugh um, I would not expect that if actual full-on professionalization were proposed um, or a type of professionalism were proposed that the Supreme Court would be unwilling to, uh, to to go against the NCA in that case. So for now, it's technically only related to a certain type of benefit and the image-related stuff is already basically in motion. Um, but based on what we heard here, this could go all the way. Um, and given that fact, um, it will be interesting to see if the players choose, like if players choose to go that way sooner rather than later and push their luck. Um, so I think this is like this is a huge move forward. All the types of things you can hear, like players getting suspended for like taking a sponsorship deal or you know just like taking some tickets to a game or or stuff like that, in kind benefits. It was ridiculous. We we've all heard about the ridiculous type of things that have been you know the focus of investigations in the NCAA. Um, that that that's now probably off the table. You can probably do as much of that as you want, um, but I think the full, you know, basically turning of the you know college level into a a minor league for the NFL is very much possible from that, based on the opinions that we that, that were given in this case. Yeah, yeah, I I I think it's the thin edge of the wedge. 
thin end of the wedge that we're looking at here. I mean, the firstly, the educated related benefits is, is so speaking as a someone with some legal qualifications, it's so vague. It's going to be used by every college under the sun to shoehorn in anything that can be vaguely attached to someone's education. So ridiculously elaborate scholarships or scholarships with things attached to them, et cetera, et cetera. This is this is going to blow up massively. And then Kavanaugh's um, concurring opinion. I mean, he talked he literally talks about paying workers their fair wage in a fair market rate, which is basically saying bring a proper case about this uh, this amateurism stuff and we will destroy the entire NCAA uh, business model. So this is, yeah, this is the beginning of the end, I think, for the the NCAA's little uh, slavery factory uh, and um, <laughs> changing it to something else. I think it will, ch- it will obviously impact college sports in a big way going down the line. One theory is that it will destroy a lot of minor sports because... They will just dump all their money into into football and basketball and and all the minor sports will get nothing as a result, which they're already kind of doing anyway with things like coaches' salaries and such like. So it's yeah, mm. it it it's the end of a certain year of the NCAA and the beginning of something very strange indeed, and no one really knows where it's going to end. But certainly, this is only the beginning, I would say. Yeah. Uh, we'll be looking to see what else comes out of that one. And uh, the only other major news is. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders defensive end Carol Nassib uh, as part of Pride Month came out as uh, gay. He did this on Instagram, I think it was, um, mm. to a very positive response. Uh, they're pretty widespread across the NFL. The team itself came out. Uh, he gave a large donation to the Trevor Project, uh, which I believe was then matched by the Raiders organization. Um, and there's been a lot of talking heads who have said that they're very positive. About it. Obviously, like it's weird to think that I think it was Michael Sam was the first out player. Um, it didn't really work out for him in the NFL uh, playing wise, but like that was six, seven years ago at this point. Um, and a number of, a number of, 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 um, both commenters and ex players coming out and saying that, uh, it's good to have this visibility that they had, that they'd all played with gay players before. Cause obviously there's more than just Carl Nassib and there always has been, um, but just to have have the kind of the visibility of it is is, is a big positive, and the response has been quite uh, quite nice to see. Yeah, like I think this is a huge positive step. I think like Michael Sam was, you know, he was obviously that that came out before he was drafted. He was drafted in the sixth round. He never made a team. He was on a few practice squads, a few preseason games, but you know, the like the, the standard you know career trajectory for a sixth round pick is is that. So I don't think like yeah. I think the the media presence definitely had an effect on him personally i think he had some a tough time when playing in the cfl for example um but uh, overall this is completely like this is a big step up because Karl nasib is a established veteran player he's been on rosters his entire career um he's always he's been a solid player for the raiders last year so i think he's in a good position to kind of come out talk about this and he did it in a relatively understated way um and i think you know he said that from the perspective in his statement that this is something he felt a duty to do um, to, to kind of, you know, tell people out there that representation matters, um, mm-hmm. but that this wasn't about creating more more attention for himself and that any money, um, they, I think he's donated a significant amount of money to the Trevor Project. Yeah. I think uh, I think the team, the NFL or the team agreed to donate money from his jersey sales, which have increased substantially. Oh, yeah, they skyrocketed. He was the top selling yeah. jersey for I, last month or something. So I think some of that money is going to the, the Trevor Project, which is obviously a charity for LGBT youth. Um, so, you know, I think this is an incredibly positive step and I think, you know, the kind of conversations people were having, you know, five or six years ago when Michael Sam came out, um, in that process and the talk of certain players being comfortable with that and where we are today is just a measure of, of, you know, how far, you know, culturally we have moved on in terms of LGBT rights. Now, that's not to say that things are fixed. I think, you know, when we look at how trans people in particular are, 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 being portrayed uh, both in America, Britain, and other, and obviously in the in other parts of the world, um, there's still much work to do. But uh, this is still a sign that I suppose uh, history is is bending uh, towards justice on this particular issue, at least. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this actually works out in terms of the the day to day season. I mean, how progressive are the Raiders as an organization? And when things start to go wrong, does the, the slur of him when he makes a mistake, does does he get called a slur and stuff like that? I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff we don't really know how this is going to work in reality. The signs are positive, but I think it's too early to tell. 
in terms of that. I mean, it, it's a it's a big moment forward, but uh, the yeah, the battle is only beginning really. I think for that kind of uh, acceptance uh, in the NFL, mm. something this masculine is it's going to take a long time yeah. to I think, change the culture. You know, in a, a, a sign of progress is that if NFL games happened in June, I'm sure we would have like NFL Rainbow Month. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you sure. know, which would of course be tacky, like all of the NFL's promotions for the military and breast cancer awareness and stuff like that. But you know, these things are important, so you know, we would take the tackiness for it is. Uh, to be honest, we all watch the NFL and decide the pond kind of for its tackiness. To be honest, <laughs> there's a small <laughs> element of enjoying that. Yes, definitely. Um, well, I suppose on that we'll go and we'll start our preview of the AFC South. So first up, we have the Colts. Um, so they're kind of doing okay last year. They had Philip Rivers in place, but now he's retired and they now to, they've decided to kind of go a similar kind of they've gone younger but significantly more washed i think in approach so additions for the colts uh this offseason they've brought in carson wentz from philadelphia they've uh, decided to change up the line a little bit so they've brought in eric fisher sam tevy and julian davenport on the defensive line the rookie quitty pay uh isaiah rochelle uh deo Odenbayo, and uh antoine woods are coming in they obviously as i mentioned lost philip rivers uh jacoby Brissett, old jake brisket is gone as well um anthony costanzo la raven clark Chaz green are all gone off that line uh and Dedico autry justin houston malik hooker and anthony walker gone from the defense so so obviously this is a team that has for the last number of years had a roster that we've claimed is great and maybe just a step away from making it uh they've lost a few more people like malik hooker justin houston people like that who are probably a little bit past it but had been contributors for them um their solution is carson wentz who has been kind of broken down and underperforming for the last year or two and has now been taken out of philadelphia um for a relatively cheap deal um i i'm not sure i i i know this is this is this one question regardless of everything else this one question is going to color everything about how you think they're going to do like i don't know if you can trust carson wentz here i know he has a history with this uh coaching staff and that they do have some nice weapons and and they have you know they're they're changing the O line around a bit, but like if Eric Fisher comes back from injury, well, Sam Tevy is there. Like that they could have a good line for him and stuff. But I, I don't know why putting Car and I wasn't a huge. I'm, I've never been a huge Philip Rivers fan. I don't know why putting Carson Wentz, given how he's played the last two or three years, into this team makes him a better team. It's there is an upside, right? There is there is there is a Carson Wentz that we know who is a really really good quarterback now we haven't seen that Carson Wentz in, in about three or four years but we know it's in there and we know that Frank Reich is able to get that out of him and we know it's not a physical thing it's it's probably more kind of a psychological or there's something going on in terms of his confidence and so the head coach the last head coach that actually made him a star is exactly the guy you want to have him talk through that I mean I think it's a process I I mean I think they're I, I think there's they he has we've been talking about this team. I mean, last year when we talked about this team, it was the fact that they have an amazing or a pretty pretty good roster of talent on both sides of the ball, but that their their quarterback just wasn't giving them what they needed. Now they have someone who at least has more of an upside. Rivers he was on the way down. It was clear that he was limit very limited in terms of what he could actually do. Now Wentz hasn't proven that he can actually get back to the level that he was at, but he, we do, we do know what he can achieve. Um, so I, I, I have them getting 10 wins and winning the division and largely because the talent around him is impressive. He's going to be more dynamic than Rivers at any rate. I mean, he's, he's not going to be Andrew Luck, but he's going to be more mobile. He's going to be more able to kind of be innovative and, and do what needs to be done. I think he's going to, they're going to be a little bit something in between what they got from Rivers and what they would have gotten had Luck, um, uh, not uh, retired. So, I mean, yes, it is the big question here is, is you know, if he doesn't succeed, the team probably does end up somewhere around the five or six or four win team. But if he does, it's not a particularly strong division, although you can make a case for the Titans, but I will later make a case against the Titans. <laughs> I don't think it's a I don't think it's a particularly strong division. I think the Colts can win it. I think if Wentz gets halfway back to his, his peak, 
I think this team has the talent to win the division. Probably not much more than that. I don't think they're going to make any kind of deep runs at the Super Bowl. Um, but uh, I, I do believe that, that Wentz can achieve uh, something close to his old level. And that's why I think they're going to be a good team next year. Fair enough. Uh, Roland, like the other, the other side of this is obviously this defense that has had contributors has had a bit of turnover um but like could potentially be a very high-end unit they obviously traded the first round pick was it last year for uh DeForest buckner they've now added quitty pay uh day odin bank oh oh day engbo is that it <laughs> yeah Odeo, that's right um obviously uh pure additions rochelle wood stuff like that going in there like there's an awful lot of talent potential anyway on this on this defense uh like you know particularly in that front seven area they've got quite a lot of high draft pick value and then they've got some 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 interesting bits like rocky sin and kind of say xavier Rhodes, people like that on the back end that could be that could be useful like this potentially could be a very good defense and like do you think that could be the difference for them yeah, like 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 the thing I suppose for them is that they had a solid defense last year, like a kind of lower top end defense, but it was kind of more of a you know better than the some of us parts type defense. Like I think the only person like there's like kind of two players there that you're gonna go there are bona fide blue chip players, like that's Darius Leonard at linebacker, who is an absolute beast, and DeForest Buckner, who they obviously traded for last offseason, who had a fairly good impact at that defensive tackle spot in terms of creating internal pressure, which we know is very important. But like yeah, their defensive ends um are haven't really contributed a lot. Uh, and like they got rid of Nico Autry and Justin Houston, so they've kind of got a bit younger there by going for Quiddy Pay, but I don't know if necessarily they've got hugely better. So in terms of like that defense taking another step up under Matt Eberflus and kind of becoming uh, like one of the top like say five defenses in the league, I'm not really sure if the changes we've seen in terms of getting younger to the, at the pass rusher spot in particular um, will make that impact in year one. But I don't like I think their floor is pretty high as well. So I think that the big like I think in terms of the variance, I think it probably still is mostly coming from um the offense and the Carson Wentz question like I think like you know when you look at this team and obviously all three of us have talked about it now like I think how that Carson Wentz experiment comes about and maybe to a lesser extent how the left tackle experiment turns out is basically going to define um whether this team can build on last year or take a step back um and I suppose just in my personal opinion um I kind of feel like you know Philip Rivers had the advantage of being a veteran quarterback who came through in a period where the quarterback was expected to be the, I suppose, the orchestrator of their offense. Whereas, you know, Carson Wentz, is, when he was at his most successful, was able to rely somewhat on his physical tools. Um, and what I think we saw most worryingly, if you're a Colts fan, is that he may have lost those tools with his back injuries in particular. And if he has to work as a kind of standard pocket passer, I would have major concerns about him being able to do that, even with a pretty good offensive line, um, even if Eric Fisher works out, for example. Yeah. Um, so I'm not as optimistic uh, about this team as, as Sean is. So Sean is ten and seven. You're a little bit below there on nine and eight. Yeah, nine and eight. Uh, but uh, you know, I I think I have plenty of wins coming from the rest of the division as well. Yeah, uh, Harry has them a step below again on seven and ten. And I don't think this Carson Wentz thing is going to work out at all. And I've gone four and thirteen. I go a little bit too far to the tails uh, of, of the distributions on these things. I tend to end up with a team I don't like. I score them very poorly. Um, yeah, I don't see it working out for them. But you know, they do have a great running back combo. If Carson Wentz is even serviceable, they should be able to 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 to, to maybe compete more than I'm giving them credit for. I just don't trust them. Uh, next up, we will look at the Jaguars. Um, this is obviously perennial picking first overall for the majority of the last couple of years and have decided to finally blow it all up and start kind of properly from scratch again. So they bring in Trevor Lawrence, the top overall pick. Head coach Urban Meyer decides to join the NFL and not just, you know, rely on his old coaching credentials and uh, shameful, shameful uh, 
um, resignations and uh, they also bring in Daryl Bevel to be the OC they then add running back Travis Etienne uh, Marvin Jones at wide receiver uh, Chris Mathers at tight end uh, Jamal Agnew at wide receiver and Carlos Hyde as backup running back there on the defense they've added a few pieces as well uh, Shaq Griffin Tyson Campbell Rayshon Jenkins Ray Robinson Harris and Malcolm Brown all coming in uh, obviously Doug Marone is gone from the head coaching position um, Keelan Cole and Chris Conley their wide receiver Tyler Eifert, D.D. Westbrook, Chris Thompson, all those guys gone off the offense, uh, but to be fair, there wasn't a ton to be worried about uh, losing from that. And on the defense side, Al Woods, Rashawn Melvin, uh, Kamele Correa, DJ Hayden, and RB Jones. Um, there is also some discussions floating around in the ether that they are looking to uh, trade their backup quarterback as well. Um, but we'll see, uh, particularly with a rookie coming in, you might want to just have, uh, you know, kind of, I suppose, the opposite of trevor lawrence like trevor lawrence seems the very you know uh very together first overall pick with the long hair and taking everything seriously and then we kind of get our hillbilly backup who everyone loves to bets <laughs> and has apparently shaved off his mullet which i do not support Aww. in the slightest um but trevor lawrence apparently has it in his contract that he's the only one allowed long hair so that's that's, that's why um so obviously, look, this is a this is a blow it up and start again year. I think our predictions for the year uh, reflect that to a certain extent. Trevor Lawrence is probably the highest touted for uh, rookie since um, Luck, I would imagine. Uh, I can't think of anyone else who had this kind of level of like two years ago. People were saying this is the guy to be looking at um, coming in. So. It's a lot of change, though. It's a it's a it's a head coach who's never coached in the NFL. It's a new offensive system for him to be coming into. Uh, his skill players is RB one, his wide receiver one. They're all new to the new to the team and new to the system as well. Um, there's a lot of lot of turnarounds on this. Can Trevor Lawrence, like I suppose, Urban Meyer being a college coach, maybe he knows how to play to a college quarterback's strengths or something. But I'm not sure. Um, it's a lot to put on the rookie, right? Like. Yeah, like I think like Trevor Lawrence will have a lot of expectation on him, but I think the kind of situation that he's been put in, in terms of being part of the the college, having a college coach who will run a college level offense mostly, so it'll obviously not have the enough like you know be super complex relative to some of the things that like traditional NFL coaches will go. But obviously, there's kind of been a transition in the NFL to those simpler offenses anyway. Um, I would expect that this should be fine for Trevor Lawrence. And I think to some extent, when I look at Daryl Bevel as offensive coordinator, that indicates to me that this is a team that will probably, if they can, run the ball a lot. Obviously, they drafted Travis Etienne at the uh, back end of the first round. They have James Robinson, who had over 1,000 yards for them in a uh, premium role last year. And I expect both of those guys to get a lot of work. Like Daryl Bevel has been associated with guys like Adrian Peterson, Marshawn Lynch. And I think he's only ever had two one over 1,000 yard receivers while being an offensive coordinator. Um, so I think this is definitely a situation where the game will run through the, the run game. And then Travis, Trevor Lawrence will be asked to run a highly efficient play action pass um, or mm. with a lot of kind of shorter passes. Um, or screens and stuff like that um so i think and i think that kind of suits the talent that they have like i think dj shark um and marvin jones have both shown that they can make big plays that they're big play players when they can be and lavisca chenault is someone that i'd be very excited to see kind of be in a in a kind of jack of all trades role on mm. screens in the backfield and stuff like that um so you know, I, like I expect that, you know, the intermediate, like the more boring, traditional West Coast type stuff might necessarily be too common in, in this, but that they will uh, that they they will try to establish the run game. Like their offensive line, is it good enough to guarantee that? There's a lot of questions like they brought back the same guys, Cam Robinson, Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder, AJ McCann, Juwan Taylor. There's a lot of high draft pedigree there. There's some high brief, high price price high-priced free agents from, from times past, but they haven't necessarily outperformed their status previously, probably underperformed, really. Um, so I think that's the plan for them, um, but whether that will be enough. And I think, you know, obviously, if it doesn't work out, then, of course, the, the pressure will immediately actually come on to Trevor Lawrence to run a, you know, a, a, 
I would hope not to Joe Burrow levels, but to a you know <laughs> a similar level of having to carry the offense. But based on the moves that they've made, based on the offensive coordinator that they have, and based on even on Urban Meyer's own college career where he loved you know using the run game to establish the pass game, that having that kind of uh, logic to it, um, I would expect as a team that will want to run the ball. Um, and uh, if if they can do that, then I expect that you know we won't see a Trevor Lawrence passing like for five thousand yards year one. Um, he'll be able to grow into the NFL, and given his prodigious talent, um, I imagine he can make a great success if, if that's how it turns out. That's interesting. I would to be honest, just looking at their personnel, I would have thought that they were going to go to more kind of a spread kind of almost semi college type system. Well, in 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 the college system, the spread is designed to you know lower the amount of people in the box, and mm. like certain coaches use that as an opportunity to you know do more attack, like you know stuff like Patrick Mahomes and like the the, the scene from uh, from the uh, no, the team from uh, Texas um, Texas Tech. Um, but I think Urban Meyer was more on the other side where you spread out, use the spread to lower the box and then you can run effect- mm. efficiently. And then using that, then the pass game becomes much more effective because obviously you have to respect um, the yeah. run and the pass in those spread formations. So no, like, so, 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 so no major stock being put into the whole uh, Travis Etienne is being ran at wide receiver for the first two weeks of his, uh, of his, of his preseason or whatever, just to, just to get him used to it. I think I think that was more to do with the fact that you know OTAs and stuff were relatively uh, undermanned for the first while, and you're just kind of yeah. guys where they add. I think James Robinson will get a lot of. I think they will split carries there if they can. Um, with James Robinson, I think rumors are that he'll kind of take more of the goal line type carries and stuff like that. But Travis Etienne's kind of like Travis Etienne has the upside to be an Alvin Kamara like type game breaker. Um, but maybe even a little bit like Kamara, we've kind of seen the Saints kind of. You know, sprinkle in more of the uh, other Latavius Murray and whoever else is there to kind of keep him fresh and use him for those key moments and key games to kind of, you know, ki- to, you know, to give your front foot front foot forward. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, this defense has obviously had a lot of turnover as well. Uh, the whatever it was, was it four years, five years ago, they made it to the AFC Championship game. That was quite heavily on what they called Saxonville. Um, so they've brought in kind of Jack Evans and stuff to kind of tie up the back end of it, but like. When we look at this before, they got Josh Allen, Malcolm Brown, uh, Clavon Chazon, like Miles Jacket inside linebacker. Like this is a team that has pieces to start going after the quarterback a little bit more, get a bit more aggressive than maybe they were equipped to do in the most recent years. Uh, do you think that's something they might be, you know, do you think that's something that might be able to help them out here a bit? Or is that more of a playing from ahead type strategy that, let's be frank, I can see what our predictions for Jacksonville are. I don't think we're expecting them to be playing from ahead all that much this year. Um, I mean, I think that the big question here is the new defensive coordinator, Joe Cullen. I mean, obviously this is a guy who's had quite a bit of success as as a defensive line coach, but has never actually been a DC at the NFL level before. And from what I kind of, my quick looks at at Jaguars blogs and and various reporting, it sounds like he's, he's kind of building a hybrid 3-4-4-3 scheme. I mean, Fitz knows probably more about that kind of specifics of it. But it's something new and it's exciting. And he's a he's a line coach that's finally getting to bring his ideas onto the big stage. Um, and there is talent there. I mean, Miles Jack, I think, is, is, a, is a very talented player. And there's obviously other players there as well. But it, it's the problem with the Jaguars as a whole is that everything is going to be new, right? That you've got this entirely new coaching system, this entirely new offense, and now you've got this entirely new defense happening as well. And that means that there's a lot of changes going on and a lot of things that can go wrong and go wrong um, early. So this, this guy could be, you know, he could, he could revolutionize defensive line play um, or it could be a mess and, and, and that the team could not make the most of its abilities. It seems it's kind of weird that they have the big names they brought in in terms of new personnel, uh, kind of like Shaq Griffin are, are secondary as, as if he, maybe he expects the secondary to take care of itself. And then he can work on, on doing some magic um, uh, with the line and the such like. So, I mean, I think there's just a lot of moving parts here. It'd be very hard to tell how well they're doing. Uh, I wouldn't be overly hyped about the possibilities of what they're going to, to do. As you said, this is a team that's going to be behind or losing a lot of games. And, and you know, that's the kind of situation where you, you want your defense perhaps to be more of a, 
a kind of a, a solid kind of get the momentum back rather than push the momentum forward um, and, you know, make the most of what you have situation. So it's going to be interesting to see how all those dynamics play out. So it's certainly going to be interesting to watch, but by week three, week four, we could, we could maybe see this is a disaster and we need to, to start all over um, again. I'm, I'm just not convinced that the, I haven't got any evidence that suggests that this team is going to change their entire culture overnight. Yeah, like on both the sides of the ball, I think there's just far too many changes going on to think that things are going to revolutionise overnight. Like their, their their big hope is that the the start of the schedule is a little bit kinder to them than the back end of the schedule will say, because uh, like they get to open uh, at Texans, who we will come on to in a second. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so they get like Texans, Broncos, I suppose Cardinals, uh, Bengals. Like there's the uh, uh, Dolphins are in there in the first six kind of games. Like it's it. There's there's winnable games in there. It's not like you know, it's not like they're hitting the hitting hitting the hard stuff early on. So there's a chance for them to get the legs underneath. That said, uh, I think between the three of us, we've got them ranging from five all the way up to six wins. Um, and Harry has uh, winning nine games. Uh, he he believes in Trevor Lawrence. Um, yeah, but. Uh, like yeah, they, uh, I think that's got, more he he doesn't believe in the rest of the AFCs. It's true, it's true. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah, it's not it's not like we've all got a ton of trust in the rest of this AFC. Look, this is this is a full rebuild. I think you know those usually take some time, and I think you know we haven't really talked about Urban Meyer much, but you know the the list of college coaches who have no experience in the NFL and have come into the NFL and actually you know succeeded uh, yeah. both initially and long term isn't that long. Yeah. Um, like we're kind of seeing like people like Cliff Kingsbury moments kind of been underwhelming, and obviously the you, know, you hate uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, like people. Any like, chance? Any chance? Like, <laughs> get the get the dig in. Like. But like you know, like this is a like this is a coach with with no experience, and obviously there are a lot of you know problematic uh, areas in terms of how he treated certain players and having favoritism and maybe you know being used to having his players be under his thumb, having complete control. That would have a bit more strength coaches, yeah, and racism and stuff like that, and stuff like you know, certainly you know this is a di- like at the NFL you're dealing with professionals. I know it's a very this is a very young roster, so maybe it's not as big an issue. But you know, if you're talking long term success, um, it's a bit of an issue. Now, to be fair, his record at the college level is impeccable, um, and that is obviously a major plus point in that. But obviously, we you know there are famous examples. Um, of 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 coaches who have absolutely dominated the college level, like Nick Saban, who didn't succeed at the NFL. So, like I'm ambivalent, I think at best about the Urban Meyer hire, genuinely being this kind of coup, which some people who love the college game say it is. Um, so for me, uh, that's probably my biggest issue. I think Trevor Lawrence is a great quarterback as long as he doesn't get like, um, you know, David Card and absolutely hammered. I think the offensive line isn't that bad. Um, mm-hmm. he should grow into being a great quarterback. I'm just I just wonder if under Urban Meyer that this regime, this college type regime and the way even even he talks with the NFL is like that's ah, not that big a deal different from the NFL. I don't know. There's a little bit something a little bit off about the hire that I just don't really like because I suppose, you know, we're not really college football people. So maybe that's it's coloring yeah. our view a bit. But, you know, I'm, I'm not loving the Urban Meyer view. But, you know, given his record, he could definitely prove us wrong. Yeah. Uh, next I mean, up we have. Oh, okay. The words that give me pause when I look at the reports and the kind of the journalism on Urban Myers, the words toxic culture seems to come mm. up quite a bit that he isn't, he doesn't create the best environment in which his players and his coaches function. And that may be fine when your team is winning a lot. As obviously at the college level, he was the big fish who was winning games. This team is going to lose more games than they win. This team is going to lose some games quite badly. It doesn't bode well that this guy when things are going well, doesn't treat his players and staff all that fantastically or encourages them to, you know, be positive and love each other in, in a good way. Um, so, yeah, I would be worried what happens when this team starts to lose games because I think it could all fall apart very quickly. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have the Texans. Uh, they've added uh, Tyrod Taylor. Ooh. Uh, David Mills. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, David Coley. Ooh. And Nick Casario. Like, 
Jesus Christ, like, did, did they get their first choice of anything here? Uh, defensive <laughs> coordinator, maybe Lovey Smith. They got uh, Terrence Mitchell, Desmond King, Shaq Lawson, Kevin Pierre-Louis. Uh, on offense, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, Mark... Oh, yeah, these guys have, like, the most bizarre running backfield. I forgot this. With Lindsay, yeah. Ingram, Marcus Cannon, uh, Lane Taylor, Justin Britt, Justin McRae. Um, outs, well, the obvious big question mark, no one knows if Deshaun Watson's going to be playing this year. Um, they also lost J.J. Uh, Watburn. Nardrick McKinney, Carlos Watkins, Gary and Conley, Philip Gaines off the defense and on the offensive side, Will Fuller, Duke Johnson, Nick Martin, Darren Fell, Zach Taylor, and Sergio Kilometer. Just, just, just to be clear, this is the uh, highlights of the ins and outs. There are actually many, <laughs> many, many more players on both sides of the ball who have been excised. Like, yeah. you know, the, the bizarre running back room also contains Rex Burkhead. For some reason, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I remember, it's 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 so it's Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, Rex Burkhead, David Johnson. Yeah. I think they still got one of the other Johnsons as well. Oh no, Duke Johnson's gone now, right? Yeah, they like, got Duke Johnson, but they have a few of the other guys who were playing last year. The young fellow. Yeah, just it's just madness. <laughs> um, yeah, they there's there's churn and there's churn. Like, um, I, I don't even know where to go. They didn't. This is not who they wanted as a head coach. They they don't have an answer at quarterback at all. Um, their defense might look a bit better, but I don't think they got like Kevin Pierre Louise should be a rotational player at best. He's probably a starter for this team. I think right right off the bat, Deshaun Watson, if he plays, this team looks a little bit different. If he doesn't, I don't know how many games this team is gonna possibly be able to win. Um I understand they have to you know, it's it's not entirely on them. Uh the the Bill O'Brien left them in a bad spot. They have minimal draft capital. They have huge contracts for players that were either not playing, playing on other teams. Um, they, for some reason, just released JJ Watt, and like they, 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 they seem to have actively just torn down. Like outside of trying to create bad blood, so it's easy for this team to move cities. I have no idea what they're doing. Um, yeah, and yet somehow, yet somehow, I'm the most positive on this team out of all of us in the predictions because I have given them four wins. Um, I yeah. I don't see this at all, at all, at all. Tyrod Taylor passing it to who's still here? Let me think. Um, like Brandon Cooks if he's not injured, or Randall Cobb, Randall Cobb and they drafted some guys. Kiki Kuti still there. Nico Collins was drafted. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like, like look, you could go through his entire roster, like, and just just to let people under the curtain, I suppose, like, you know, I've been I've been putting together the projected starters for each team for the purposes of these pro- preview podcasts, and this is the one team where I'm like, there's like six guys who could start at this particular position, like, you know, it, like there's four running backs, there's like five wide receivers, you know, there's a ten. Uh, like there's probably nine or ten offensive linemen who could all be starting for this team. Only Laramie Tunsil is a definite starter. And on the defense, linebacker is a mess. Uh, defensive back is a mess. Line like defensive line. Like it's just this is a complete and utter, you know, tear down by Nick Casario. Um, and you know, the problem with this team is like, you know, if this was like a, a situation where you're bringing in someone who people believed in, like, you know, like when like when Pete Carroll came into Seattle 10 years ago, he did a very aggressive revamp of the entire roster. But, you know, that was someone coming off winning a lot of stuff at the college level who had previous experience in the NFL, um, was maybe a little bit unlucky at the NFL level. Um, but this is obviously David Culley, who's never been, I think, even a, like a, a, a coordinator role, uh, been put into the head coach role, seemingly just a sitting duck. Um, I suppose he got Lovey Smith as defensive coordinator. That's probably the only good thing I could say. Like at least he has a decent track record. But the rest of this just doesn't really make any sense. And of course, it is of course worthing the two big, huge context things here. One, Deshaun Watson is he going to play? One, because he says he doesn't want to play for the Texans, and his relationship with the entire team has broken down uh, for reasons which I'll go into a moment. But obviously, you know the major outstanding issue of all the sexual assault or. Uh, you know, harassment allegations made against them, which is still very much unresolved as we record this podcast. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of back and forth in terms of where that's going to go um, in, in the legal process. So, you know, Deshaun Watson, probably less likely than more likely to play for either of those two reasons. And so you're relying on like Tyrod Taylor or 
Davis Mills, a rookie in the third round, because that was when your first pick was, because Bill O'Brien, um, <laughs> it's a bit of a, a fucking uh, mess. And of course, you know, that going back to that first point, you know, the Deshaun Watson doesn't like how this organization is being running. Is he in a place to judge people's judgment? Maybe not. But uh, even in our objective view, looking, he's probably right that this team is an absolute mess. Like this is a team where the ownership has been fully Fredoed, like, you know, from uh, The Godfather, where they put the incompetent son in charge uh, after, after Bob McNair, the previous owner, died. Um, and Bob McNair was a racist, so he wasn't perfect himself, but at least he seemed to have some idea of how to run a football team, where this Cal McNair has been under the uh, influence of the Svengali, Rasputin-type uh, Jack Easterby with his new age, you know, uh, Christian uh, guru shtick and having a major influence on all of the personnel and uh, front office decisions. This guy who has no football qualifications is, by all accounts, a bit of a Egypt madman. And <laughs> this this feels like a full-on meltdown where Cal McDare is entering the revered air of the Snyders and, and the Browns of the terrible owners' pantheon. And, you know, this could easely end with, like, this team leaving, te- like, Houston altogether or being sold up because he's so goddamn incompetent. Like, like and so, just, like, it, even even though, like, there's a lot of change here, lots of players have left, like J.J. Watt and Will Fuller, and they've added lots of players, Those that sense that the team is so dysfunctional and obviously the quarterback situation being in such, um, in such uh, you know, disastrous situation, um, all the rest of it doesn't really feel... It feels more like noise and signal, to be honest, and... Uh, pretty depressing if you're a Texans fan. Yeah, like I was, I was trying to work out, like you know, because we talked about this previously about how they could maybe get out of the hole, who they could have. Like I was just looking at the roster, trying to go, like I, like as I said, I know they have to try and make do what they have, but who would you, not just for your team, but like just in general, if you were looking at this at this roster, who would you want for another team if you were another team, like Laramie Tunsil? Is good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I always, I always thought Philip Lindsay was an all right back. That's, uh, oh yeah, like, but he, he's actually gone. I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to keep track. Uh, I forgot he he got caught a couple of weeks ago. But uh, yeah, so doesn't yeah, make like, their running back room any less confusing. Maybe may, maybe Christian Kirksey or someone like like that's possible. But that would just I, be like I, a, I, I think like the players that would at least have a chance of starting in other teams would be um, Larry Tunsil, of course, um, with the Merciless, still has something in the tank, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shaq Lawson, he was he was a trade, he was traded to them, but he's still a solid player. Is, Zach, yeah. Zach Cunningham is like your bog standard, kind of like maybe two down linebacker. Mm. Justin Reed is a good safety. Bradley Roby's a decent cornerback. But, uh, so it's not like it's completely talentless, but I think what we've seen with teams like this when the ownership structure is an absolute disaster. It takes a lot of things and many years of going right to actually write a ship like this. And right now, this feels like a ship that's in the process of sinking, not, you know, trying to, you know, get the water off board and actually, you know, get back up and going. Um, until this ownership situation and this Jack used to be situation resolves itself one way or the other, I just can't see this team going anywhere. And I kind of feel a bit bad for Nick Casario, who came from New England. He seems like a relatively competent fella, and he's obviously doing a lot of work to try and turn an entire roster over in one year. But, you know, given those circumstances, I just don't know how anyone would be able to, to make anything out of this that isn't going to be an absolute disaster this year and for probably many years to come. Yeah. Like, and, and don't worry, Texans fans, like, because we're, 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 we're completely dumping on you here. It means you're probably going to have a great season uh, somehow. <laughs> I don't know how Deshaun Watson is proven innocent and turns out that this was all a joke and he actually loves the ownership and or or this is his like trade me MVP season just to say fuck you and then walk off into the sunset kind of thing. Maybe that happens, but no, I have them winning four games. I have two games, (laughs) Sean. I have them. So they have a home game against the Jets. Sometime in like November, when the Jets project has run out of steam, and they might squeak you in there. So I have them having one win. I think they're going to lose both games against the Jags, which is how bad I think they are. And so yeah, I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll go zero seventeen. I think they will squeak one win from somewhere. 
And I, I think maybe that Jets home game in November is where they're going to get it. But yeah, this is just this is a dump. This is a dumpster fire to define all dumpster fires. Yeah, it doesn't. It's mad to think two years ago these guys were what championship game or yeah. Uh, we're, hey, winning, were, we're winning the AFC Championship game by quite a margin. <laughs> uh, Madness. Madness. Um, yeah, sorry, Texans. Doesn't look like it's going to be fun. This is this is the kind of team that I think, like, if this goes the way we think it is, it might be the kind of, like, season or season or two that you could kind of just go, like, this is why I swapped team loyalty. Um, yeah. Titans are up next. Um, so they had the big trade and got Julio Jones in. They also had a Josh Reynolds, Dylan Radnus and uh, Kendall Lamb on the offense. Uh, defensively, they added Bud Rupree, Danico Autry, uh, Rashawn Weaver and to their backfield, they've added quite a few pieces. Caleb Farley, Janoris Jenkins, Kevin Johnson and Elijah Molden. Uh, they lost Corey Davis, Johnny Smith, Adam Humphreys, Khalif Raymond. You'll know those names because you probably picked them up trying to find something for your fantasy team and they were very uh, infuriatingly week to week. Um, defensive side, they lost Dory Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Desmond King, Kenny Vaccaro, Jadavian Clowney, Daquan Jones, Matt Dickerson, and Jack Crawford. Um, so look, the Texan or the, the, the Titans are this team that I think we said this every year. Like everything needs to go right for them because they're incredibly top heavy. Um, I don't, I still don't massively rate the quarterback. Um, even though I know numbers wise we should, I still just don't think it's that good. Um, but this is you know Brown, Julio, and Henry. Um. If one of those pieces goes down, they're in a lot of trouble. Um, but they haven't so far, and they've been quite good for the last two years going at this. Um, like I love the addition of Julio Jones, uh, just because I think he's still got a lot in the tank. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Like this, this defense wasn't really up to scratch. Can Bud Dupree and Tadiko Autry turn that around? Like, is bringing in two rookies and two kind of older players? And just redoing your entire backfield going to fix it, like because I don't think any of them are as good as maybe a Dory Jackson was for them. I don't know. It's like this is a Titans team that feels like well, it worked pretty okay two years ago, so we'll do it again last year, and then it worked okay last year, so we'll just do that again this year. And like you got you got to believe at some point. Like I know Henry is a beast, but like back to back four hundred plus carry seasons, it doesn't it doesn't it feels like we're just waiting for that cliff face yeah this this is my primary concern with the titans is yes it's a great addition in jones yes they have a lot of big name talent yes if it all clicks they're going to be a very good team but you're relying on everything working out and the the train keeping on rolling on for another year and particularly you're relying on henry who has had back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons basically having a third in a row, which is effectively unheard of in, in modern running backs. Like, running backs do not stay at the top for that long. It's kind of a miracle he's he's managed two, you know, amazing seasons back-to-back. There has to be some sort of drop-off. The problem, then, is that the Titans' offense, from a schematic point of view, is basically built around Henry... And- as the option or as the decoy that the entire pass game was built around the fact that Henry is such a threat that defenses have to focus on him, which gave Tanhill the time and space he needed to find his receivers. Now, obviously Julio Jones will change that and they will obviously probably move a little bit more pass heavy this season. It's going to be very interesting to see how the AJ Brown Julio Jones thing works out. I mean, they can't both be uh, the, the, the WR1. So, I mean, you know, you know, they're supposed to be getting along and they're supposed to love each other and everything, but you imagine there might be some egos clashing at some point down the line. And if Henry begins to decline and suddenly then the game is falling on Tannehill's shoulders and it's no longer, oh, Ryan Tannehill's good now. Now it's Ryan Tannehill is expected to deliver. And that's an entirely different kind of pressure to what he's been facing for the past two years. Um, he's expected to perform. He's expected to fill in when, when Henry doesn't get the get you know the numbers and the points necessary. He's expected now to be out there every week performing. And I, I don't know. I mean, we've seen a very good Ryan Tannehill um, in, in the last few years, but I don't know if he has that in him. Um, so there is ways in which this falls apart very quickly. Um, and and yes, the defense is actually kind of a mess and cost them a bit. Um, at the tail end of last year, and they haven't really improved it in any fantastic uh, um, way. I mean, okay, but Butterfree is a good addition, I suppose. So, I mean, 
yes, I can. De- I mean, Harry, for example, has them going 15 wins and getting to the Super Bowl. Um, it could happen. I think that's at the very edge of possibility. I think they. This is not a very strong division. They could very easily win the division. I think the way my thing went that they they finished the same record as the, as the Colts, 10 wins, but the Colts get the the um, the tiebreaker between them. So the Titans could easily win the division, and that puts them in, a, in kind of a home playoff game, and they could easily maybe get to an AFC Championship game if things go well for them. But, yeah, I, I have to imagine there's going to be some regression, and if there's some regression, then this team suddenly, the, the parts begin to fall apart very quickly, and a, a lot of players get pressure on their shoulders. So i would be very interesting to see how it goes. I see them not, I see them very much the same as they were last year, looking fairly decent, but ultimately not making making a big splash come playoff time. What about yourself, Ronan? I, I disagree. Like, I did, like, you know, I was probably putting them into like a game and the Colts fighting out for this division, kind of both being solid, kind of almost like a kind of old school, bad AFC South type situation. But I think Julio Jones by himself is a huge change for this team. I think, you know, he's going to see a lot more single coverage here than he's probably used to seeing. Because I think AJ Brown at this stage is as dangerous, as dangerous, if not more dangerous, a receiver than Julio Jones. And that's saying a lot. Like AJ Brown was playing on a, like a gammy leg all last season, still had over a thousand yards, still made the Pro Bowl. He is an absolute monster once you get the ball into his hand, as well as being an absolute threat. Uh, going deep, uh, going past you as well. And I think Derrick Henry, like Derrick Henry is a different type of man. Like this man is built like a beast. He's built like a goddamn tank. And he only, you know, you know, the, the, the arguments that he's going to wear down, like that goes exactly against how he's played in season, where he's generally been grand in the first half of the season, but actually got stronger and more punishing and more feared as the season has gone on. If there's any man who I expect can, you know, uh, resist the, the, the like the tide that the, you know the 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 tides of time, um, and kind of you know prepare his body and, and beat people up. It's Derrick Henry. I think you know this is the type of running back where the defender often comes off worse than Derrick Henry when there's a collision. That isn't really true for most of them. And look, Ryan Tannehill. Yes, look, is Ryan Tannehill like the best quarterback in the NFL? No, is but I think he's like what I would call like an elite trailer. Like if you put him in a system that works around him, especially one which is reliant on play action and in which he can get outside the pocket and do a few runs as well, like RPO and stuff to kind of mix things up. He is absolutely lethal at that. And we shouldn't just keep shitting on him because he played under Adam Gase. And that is the worst thing to happen to any quarterback in the NFL. This has got a solid offensive line. And yeah, the defense, there are definitely questions. They changed up their cornerbacks. They changed up their pass rushers. But their pass rushers and their cornerbacks last year were terrible. So I don't exactly blame them. And I think Bud Dupree and Danico Autry can be better than whatever Jadavian Clowney is right now. Um, and, you know, what uh, I think Vic Beasley is who they picked up last season. And Adoree Jackson is someone who, you know, I think some people still rate, but just wasn't right for the system. This is a system where Mike Vrabel comes from the New England school. He wants corners who can challenge who can, you know, dominate at the line of scrimmage. And Adore Jackson was a smaller quarterback. I don't think he ever really suited the system. So they've continued to invest at that defensive back spot. They get like some uh, savvy veterans like Janoris Jenkins and Kevin Johnson. They then invest in their younger players like they've done over the last year with Caleb Barley, uh, Christian Fulton, Elijah Molden. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, is that going to fix the defense? Is it going to be a better defense? I'm not sure about that. But, like, you know, pieces like Kevin Byard uh, and Jayon Brown are solid. Um, so I think this defense, there's certainly room for it to improve. Now, saying all that, this is obviously, as I say, a fragile uh, thing because it's based around so many of the like I don't. There's very few teams where you know even like quarterback obviously is important for every team. Um, but there's so many other pieces that are not quarterbacks that if they lost them would push this team back significantly. Um, so if we're if we're you know discounting injury effects, obviously I'm a bit worried. But if this team can stay healthy, if this team can work out and the defense can take a step up. I think this is a genuine contender in the AFC uh, shout uh, alongside the teams like the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Bills. Um, probably the most fragile of those, the least complete in terms of having depth. Um, but if you're talking first 11 on both sides, this I see this as, this is as a championship level team. Um, so I'm very excited to see what they can do with Julio Jones, uh, Derek Henry, 
and AJ Brown. Um, and if they all stay healthy, this is you know, this is a team that I think can take on anyone in the league. Mm. Yeah, so I've got them going 14 and 3. I uh, give for second overall in the AFC, and they get knocked out in the divisional round. Uh, yeah, 12 and 5, uh, number 3 seed divisional round elimination as well. Um, I think, but like, you know, as I say, if those, all, the, all those guys are healthy by the time we make it to the playoffs, then uh, it'll be close calls all round, I think. Sean? Yeah, I have them 10 and 7 and being edged out by the Colts for the division and then not making the playoffs because the AFC is really tough this year. If you don't win your division, you're not going to get in. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but as I said, it can easily go the other way. As I mentioned as well, uh, Harry has them going 15 and 2 and going to the Super Bowl. Uh, I, would also, just, I was just looking at there, like one of the reasons I've got them winning 14 games is I have a collective 13 games being won by the other three members of this division in the entire year which is at what 51 games or something so yeah uh, i don't i don't i don't rate the afc south uh, at all so come at me afc south boys apart from derrick henry who scares me um so i suppose that wraps up for today so it's um bye for myself bye from ronan bye bye from sean bye <laughs> in all four quarters thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week <laughs>